These came from the June 19th, the Songs of Jesus devotional book. As I was reading through this, there was this one line, Gary, go ahead and put that on the screen, that just, I mean, it did, it captured my heart, that, that this phrase, that only when we see the depth of our sin will we be electrified by the wonder of grace. And that, that just stuck with me. And, uh, and then when I got to the prayer uh, on June 19th of that day, which is, Lord, the deeper the darkness, the more visible and beautiful the stars, and the more I admit my sin, the more your grace becomes a reality rather than an abstract idea. Only then does your grace humble me and affirm me, cleanse me and shape me. Make your grace amazing to my heart. Amen. Amen. That's a prayer that is worth praying in some form or fashion in your own words as we seek and we chase the Father's heart. Now, to explore the work and wonder of grace in our lives, we've been looking at the story that Jesus tells of a man with two sons. And if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at a couple of those verses there today. In the experience of the younger son, we've already considered one who pursued a pursuit of unrighteousness. My fault, I just now turned it on. In the experience of the older son, we considered one who pursued a pursuit of personal righteousness. And so, as we've already seen, the the younger son is chasing after unrighteousness, and the older son is chasing after personal or self-righteousness. And so we saw their their experience and their perspective. Now, this morning what I want to do is I want to return to the parable one more time, and I want to consider the experience and the perspective of the Father in this parable. So let's pray as we open up God's Word. Father, would you open our hearts and our minds today as we open your Word, speak words of life and truth, of grace to our hearts so that we can see the wonder of grace. Through Jesus, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our teacher, we pray. Amen. Now, have you ever been involved in a conversation with someone, and and the conversation went something like this? They're, They're talking to you, and they say something like, well, it's not really my place. And what word usually follows after that? But... Isn't that fascinating? We've been in those conversations, right? I mean, isn't it fascinating how that one simple word gives us permission to say whatever we want to say, right? It's so crazy. I mean, this is a conjunction whose function is to let us, you know, it's a license to spill is what this is. You know, it's like, I don't really know you. Um, I have no idea whatsoever what it's like to be in your situation to deal with what you're dealing with, but let me tell you what to do. Man, that that word has a lot of power. Okay, so here goes. I'm not really sure that Jesus intended for us to parse and dissect the parables the way that we parse and dissect them, right? I mean, you get to a point where like in the parable of the man with two sons, the younger son is out with the field, we'll do a three-week series on what kind of pigs they were. Were they African or European pigs? You know, it's like we, we get so granular sometimes, and, and I'm just not really sure that Jesus intended for us to parse and dissect the parables the way we do that. Here it goes. But... <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's take a closer look at the father of these two sons today. And so here's the question that was going through my mind as I was working through this. In the example of the father, as we consider his heart for his younger son and we consider his heart for his older son, can we learn something about God? So that's what I wanted to explore. I wanted to see if Jesus is trying to tell us something about who God is as we see the father's heart towards the younger son and the father's heart towards the older son. So let's look first at the father's heart towards his younger son. Now, if you're in your, in your Bibles in Luke chapter 15, what I want to do is I want to skip down and I want to look at verse 20, which says, and this is where the son, if you're not familiar with the parable, the son is gone, he's done everything he wants to do, it hasn't worked out, now he's coming home. In verse 20, we pick that up where it says, so the son left and went to his father. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt sorry for his son so the father ran to him and hugged and kissed him. Oh man, don't you see? This is just an incredible portrayal of the father's heart and the electrifying wonder of grace. I mean, the younger son has insulted and shamed the reputation of the father. He has been irresponsible and squandered the resources of the father. The younger son has brought dishonor upon himself and has brought dishonor upon his father and his family. And yet, oh man, after everything that the younger son has done, after everything that he has put his family through, he knows that there is a compassion, that there is a mercy, that there is a kindness in the Father's heart which allows him to return home. This is so incredible because he knows, he reflects that the way that his Father treats even the servants in his household, that it's a safe place for him to return to. That he knows that it's a better place for him to be than where he is. I love this verse because what do you see that the first thing that the father's doing while the son was still a long way off? See, the father sees him. He sees him. You know what this means? It means he's, he's, he's going out to the porch every day and he's looking for him. And he sees him from a distance. And then you notice these three things, these actions that the father takes, right? He sees the son returning, and we already know because we're familiar with the story. We know that the return of the son is not a return of success and shame, of, 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 of fame. It's a, it's a return of failure and shame. This is not the homecoming that, that the son wanted, and the father sees him returning. And the way the father greets his wayward returning son is not in the way that we might expect, or perhaps even if we were in that situation. Do you notice the instinctual response of the father? It says, his father saw him, and what? Felt sorry for him. Now, um, the this is what the New Century Version says, felt sorry for him. Other translations that you might be reading of use the word compassion in this place. This is probably one of the most complicated Greek words ever. It's like, and probably one of the longest Greek words ever as well. And, and, and I think it's probably fitting that this is one of the most complicated Greek words ever because 
compassion, to have pity or to feel sympathy for someone, boy, it can be one of the most complicated expressions of grace, can it? It can be one of the hardest things that we do to have pity, to have compassion on someone. I mean, so there's a great struggle, right? There's a great tension in our lives. It's a great struggle for us when we're placed in these situations where we have to have compassion. I mean, how do we show compassion to someone who has wronged us? How do we show mercy and kindness to someone who has hurt us? This, this is a great struggle that we deal with, that we face. So the Greek word is, you know, not only is it like super long, but it's really interesting because when you dig into the root and what the word means, it's describing, not, it's describing a character trait. It's not just a feeling. It's also describing an action. And so when we look at this word in the Greek and we try to bring it over into English, it literally means to have pity, to have compassion, which makes it more complicated, doesn't it? I mean, how do I give something that I don't necessarily have? How do I show something that I don't necessarily feel? And then when you look at the word associations of of what this word is associated with to other words in the Bible, it's a word that is closely related to to suffer with another, to suffer with with another, to be affected in the same way that someone else is affected. And so we talk about compassion, and we talk about mercy and kindness, and those three words are so intertwined and often interchangeable because these associations, they mean the same thing. They're so closely related to that when we think of compassion. We're talking about showing mercy. We're talking about showing kindness. Now, And I haven't even gotten to the most fascinating part of this Greek word. This Greek word comes from a word that actually means inwards, like your innards, right? I guess in this area it would be your inners, right? It's talking about your gut. And so this word is literally translated to be moved in your inwards, Compassion, don't you see? It's not just a surface emotion. Compassion is an inward expression. It's the churn and turmoil of an inner burden. There is no doubt that the younger son is sorry for what he has done. Right Now, you can argue that he's only sorry because it didn't work out the way he expected it to work out. Okay, that's fine. That's fair. But that's still a part of the work of grace in our lives, to humble us and to bring us back to the Father's heart. And we see that the younger son is returning in repentance, right? He has a speech prepared. In verse 21, you can see he even has an opportunity to give his prepared speech. The son says to the father, I have sinned against God. I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But I want you to notice what happens before he says these words. Look at what the father does before a word comes out of the younger son's mouth. So we go back to verse 20, and we see that the father sees him. 
We see that the father has compassion on him, feels sorry for him, and his compassion moves him to do three things. Do you see them? The father ran to him is the first one. The father hugged him is the second one. And the father kissed him is the third one. His compassion moves him to do these three things. Now, I don't know what reaction we were expecting, right? I mean, our son as a wildlife biologist spends a lot of times in places where there are no showers, right? And we see him infrequently, and he'll, you know, when he comes from the bush, from the wilderness, you know, it's, man, it's great to see you. We're glad to have you home. Why don't you go take a shower, right? I mean, this is not the reaction we would expect, you know? I mean, he, the, the younger son has been, you know, been, you know, frequented the, the pig pen, and, and, and I might be thinking, boy, Lord, do you smell? You know, man, do you stink? And so the reaction we would expect is, son, why don't you go take a shower and then you come sit down and we'll talk about what you're going to have to do to earn my trust again. It's not here. That's missing from here because of the wonder and the work of grace. We see that grace stirs a heart of compassion. And we see that a heart of compassion, it pushes us. It moves us from the inner part of our being. It moves us to be involved in the struggle of another. Oh, so yes, we see the father's heart for the younger son. He's moved by compassion. Now, we also see the father's heart for the older son, but boy, it's more complicated. It's a lot more complicated. And yet, the father still has a heart of compassion for him, and it's more of a challenge So the older son, by not joining in the feast, he has insulted and shamed the reputation of his father. The the older son is scolding his father for what he describes as wasting resources. It's so ironic because the older brother sees the father and the younger son in the same way. We, We already saw last week from verse 28, he is so angry that he will not join the party. Verse 28 says, the older son was angry and would not come into the feast. Now look at what happens. The father's heart of compassion is engaged even towards his older son. Gary, go to verse 28, please. Verse 28 says, the older son was angry and would not go into the feast, so his father went out and begged him to come in. Okay, so don't don't miss this. The father's heart is broken by the actions of the younger son, and here the father's heart is broken by the actions of the older son. What's the first thing he does? He went out to him. He went out to him. Now, the New Century Version does a really good job here when it says that the father begged him to come in. The father doesn't want his older son to miss the celebration. He doesn't want him to miss out on this joyous time. He doesn't want him to be outside at a distance removed. He wants him to be inside. He wants his family to be together. Other translations say that he entreated or pleaded with him, but it carries the same meaning or sentiment. The invitation of the father to the older son also comes from a deep place of longing. He's begging him, come inside, son. Come inside. 
Don't let this anger that you have, don't let this resentment that you have, don't let it keep you, don't let it take hold of your heart, don't let it be what defines you, son. Come inside. Come inside. Come inside. He's begging him. Come inside, son. And yet the older son will not repent of his anger. He will not put his anger aside so that he can step inside. And his story is a refusal to accept the invitation of the Father to come in. His story is a refusal to mirror the Father's heart. And so his story comes to a dead end with him remaining on the outside. Okay. If Jesus intends for this to be a depiction of God, we're learning something very important and quite incredible about the Father. He's trying to convey to us that God is a compassionate Father, that God is a compassionate God. That when you think about all of these things that we would describe who God is, if compassion is not part of the description, then that's a God that you've made up. He is a compassionate Father. He is a compassionate God, even to people who are ungrateful. He is a compassionate God, a compassionate Father, even to people who are undeserving. The Father's heart in this story, I do think it can teach us something about the compassion of God. And once again, we, we see the wonder, the electrifying wonder of grace. But there's a second thing that Jesus is teaching us, because if this is a picture of who God really is, Jesus is also teaching us that we who know God, we who belong to God, that we must imitate the Father's heart. And so this second thing that Jesus says is a rather remarkable response for those who have received grace. Grace is moving us to respond in a specific way. And grace is moving us into our culture to respond with compassion, with kindness, and with mercy. The compassion, the kindness, and the mercy of God is the example that Jesus gives us for how we should behave. Oh, you would hope that that's how we treat each other here. But Jesus says this should be the hallmark of how you treat people that are not here. Because God is compassionate, because God is kind, because God is merciful, He treats us with kindness, with mercy and compassion. And Jesus says, because God is this way, and if you reflect His heart, then you're going to treat people this way, even kind and merciful and compassionate to people who don't like you. Even kind and merciful and compassionate to people who have actually set themselves against you. Jesus talks about all of this in Luke chapter 6, and He says something really amazing in verse 36. He says, show mercy just as your Father shows mercy. Do you see how incredible this is? It's interesting because we would expect Jesus to say, show mercy because you have received mercy. We would expect Him to say, be compassionate because you've received compassion. 
we would expect him to say, to say, be kind because God has been kind to you. And, and yeah, there's a truth that that is true, and it's, it's, we find that in other places, but don't miss what he's saying. He's saying, show mercy because your Father shows mercy. He's saying that the motivation for us who call God as our Father that the motivation for us to have compassion and to be kind and to be merciful to others is because our Father is kind and merciful. We are a reflection of His heart. Jesus is saying, be like this because God is like this. Man, we get, we get such mixed messages from our culture today, right? I mean, our culture says that, if, that showing mercy is a sign of weakness. Our, our culture says you should only show mercy to those people who show you mercy and wait for them to go first. When you show mercy and compassion and kindness, you're getting involved in the struggle of another, even if it's not your struggle. You're sharing in the struggle with them. When you're moved from this deep place within you to show this kind of compassion, your heart aches at the aches of another. Your stomach hurts at the hurts of others. Your inner self is, is moved by pain at the plight of others. Did you know that the most common word in the English language is the verb be? It's the most common word in the English language. I was thinking about that going, well, that's interesting. How so much of our life is about the kind of person that I want to be the kind of person that I need to be, the kind of person that I should be, that this is, the most thing, this is the thing that preoccupies most of our time. What kind of people should we be? So, if we're going to be something, why don't we be compassionate? Why don't we be merciful? Why don't we be kind? In the book, A Boy, A Mole, and a Horse, the boy is asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the boy says, when I grow up, I want to be kind. I want to be kind. It strikes me how much compassion and mercy and kindness is missing from our dialogue, from our conversations, and our behavior these days. I mean, we show such disregard for people who disagree with us. It seems to me that as people who have been given such great mercy and grace, compassion and kindness, that we of all people would extend that compassion that mercy, that grace, that kindness. I mean, in so many cases in our life, how are we going to talk about the kindness and compassion and the grace of God if we are not kind and compassionate and gracious people? It's about the decisions that we make of who we want to be as a people, as a person. In the end, the older son is unable to see the depth of his sin. And because of this, he is resistant and he is resentful to grace. He's unwilling to treat his brother with compassion, won't even call him his brother. He refuses to reflect the father's heart and extend mercy. Oh, but the younger son is able to see the depth of his sin. He can see clearly what he's done wrong. His heart is electrified by the wonder of grace. His heart is captured by the Father's heart. God is a God who from the overflowing abundance of His grace is compassionate, merciful, and kind to us. And so, don't you see? This is why He has compassion on you. 
This is why He shows kindness to you. This is why He gives an overabundance of His grace for you. This is why He delights in you. This is why He cherishes you. This is why you are so dear to Him, so important to Him, so valuable to Him. His heart is turned toward you even if you do not yet know Him. His heart is turned toward you so that you would turn your heart toward Him. He is the Father who even in this moment is pleading for you to join the celebration, to join the feast. On the cross, Jesus has given no benefit of mercy so that we might benefit from the full mercy of God. On the cross, Jesus is not even given an ounce of compassion so that we might receive an overabundance, spilling over of compassion. On the cross, Jesus is giving no measure of kindness that we might be given the full measure of the kindness of God. Let's pray. Father, would, you, would Your Holy Spirit work in this moment and convict our hearts? Oh, Lord. Through the work that Your Spirit does, make us compassionate people. Make us merciful people. Make us kind people. Show this, this resistance that we have in our heart, this resentment that we have in our heart to grace so that, that we can reflect your heart. Would you cause this to bloom in us and in this church, Lord? I pray again that you would make our church a place filled with people who have your heart of compassion, of mercy, and kindness. And we pray through Jesus, who has done everything for us. Amen. Would you stand, please? We're going to sing a song together again. And our elders and their wives are going to be up front and throughout the auditorium. And if you would like someone to pray with you in this moment, we invite you to do. If you would like to receive Jesus today, if you would like to say yes to the invitation of the Father who pleads for you to come, then we encourage you to do that even at this moment as well. That's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness. The kindness of a Savior. The hope of nations. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures, fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender, Savior. He can move the mountains. 
God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever, author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. You may be seated.